Learn how to build a better sign and print shop from a few crusty sign guys who've made more mistakes than they care to admit. Conversations and advice on pricing, sales, marketing, workflow, growth, and more. You're listening to the Better Sign Shop Podcast with your hosts, Peter Kurunis, Michael Riley, and Bryant Gillespie. Before we jump into the episode, I'd like to give a shout out to our sponsor, GCI Digital Printing, grand format printer to the trade. GCI is not your average print shop. They pride themselves on providing you a fast, stress-free experience when outsourcing. Their no excuses mindset means no matter the job, they'll have it done every time. No other vendor will go to the links that GCI does to ensure you're a satisfied customer. To hear more about their approach to business, hop back into the archives to episode nine, where the guys and I interview owner TJ Bedact about top tier customer experience. If you're looking for a high quality trade printer for banners, mesh, coroplast, and more, TJ and his crew will have your back. For jobs big or small, GCI does them all. Check them out at printgci.com. Hi guys, welcome back to the next episode of the Better Sign Shop podcast. I'm your host, Brian Gillespie. Uh, my two co-hosts, Michael and Peter, are not here at the moment, so I figured I would go ahead and kick this one off. Um, if you're watching the video feed, you'll see this amazing mustache. Uh, yesterday was Halloween, and I had to commit fully to my uh, costume. My wife dressed up as Taylor Swift. I was, of course, uh, Travis Kelsey. Uh, if you know me, you know I'm the furthest thing from an NFL football player. But um, anyway, you got to go all in sometimes. So uh, today we've got a, another special guest with us. I'm really excited about this episode. All right, guys, we are back with our special guest for today, Mr. Evan Zebley. Evan, nice to have you on the podcast. Thanks. Nice to be here. I originally reached out to you several months ago, uh, maybe half a year at this point, because I saw that you were posting uh, a lot of really cool videos of like sign installs and, and stuff that you were doing for clients. Um, I thought it would be a great story to have you on and interview you about that. But in that time, I, I think you've had a lot of changes going on professionally. So uh, maybe you want to jump in and just give us some of your backstory and, and tell us about your journey in the industry. Sure. I mean, uh, it's, I guess, the truncated version because it's pretty eventful. I guess if anybody ever feels like they're not sure they're doing the right thing uh, and they're comparing themselves to old systems, which are, you know, the classic, you go into a job, you work it for 30 years, you stay loyal to that company. I get that. And that's commendable. That was not the path for me. Uh, the last 10 years in the sign business, the only way that I've been able to really move up is to been to move out. And that's what I've been doing year by year. So I've had the great opportunity uh, every year that as I grow a market to then ask my employer, hey, are we ready to take my income to the next level? When they say no, I'm like, all right, that's cool. I'm going to go on to the next thing, though. And uh, just keep going until now that's culminated in I have to have my own shop. So that just started two months ago. This is the first time in about 10 years that I've felt comfortable saying, you know what? 
I've got a good customer base. I understand all the ins and outs of everything with this business. I'm fine, just cold going out on my own. Um, and it has been. I mean, we're at uh, we're in the middle of week nine now, and the great parts are I've been able to pay myself every week, which is a bonus. Uh, you know, there's money in the bank, and then all that really comes from, like you said, it's got to do with the market share. So, you know, there's many, many great crafters out there. They're good at their job. They know what to do. They can provide you an excellent product that will work for your your need. Uh, but everybody's not marketing that. And so the, I would attribute the whole reason of why I'm able to go out on my own is to just me having market share for people knowing my face, knowing me personally in my market. Gotcha. So you kind of built your own brand. If we, if we back up a little bit, like how did you get your start in the industry or back oh. up quite a bit, I guess, potentially, <laughs> yeah. you know, I think you said you've been in the industry at least 10 years now. Yeah, it's been about 10 years. Um, so I was. Uh, before I got into anything to do with media, I was actually managing restaurants and bars. So I was very much into that life where it's, you know, I'm peddling booze pretty much and making good money. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. and it's a fun time, uh, but I wanted to have a family and it's not really conducive to having good family time. You know, close down the bar at four in the morning and then take the kid to a soccer game at eight doesn't really work that great. So I was like, I got to do something different. I had an opportunity to go work for a newsprint publisher, which uh, if you want to learn about deadlines and working fast and hard like that, that was definitely it. Um, I was the narrow point of the funnel when it came to production design. So every ad that was in every newspaper, every magazine, every book, that all went across my desk. Um, and I think I was working that job for about a year and a half when my sister called me. My sister was working for a farmer in South Georgia that had a sign shop in his farmhouse. And she said, Evan, you know, the guy I'm working for says he's tired of signs. He wants to sell all the equipment and the book of business to us for $10,000. Do you want to get into the sign business with me? And I was like, well, I guess I, I think I could be good at being my own boss. Like, all right, let's, let's try it. So uh, she lived in South Georgia. I was in kind of North Georgia at the time. I moved down there to South Georgia. And I remember week one, it was like, we've got, you know, the business is already operating. So we got jobs rolling. And, uh, I was like, okay, we got this banner order. I don't even really know what a banner is. I don't certainly don't know <laughs> how to print it or like what this big machine is. Like, I don't know anything about this. And my sister's like, well, that's cool, but I have to have a baby right now. So I'm going to go. And <laughs> so she, she was pregnant with, uh, with my niece at the time. And, um, anyway, like well, she gave literally, the switcheroo then. <laughs> it was literally like, okay, figure this out. And I remember it's, I remember the model, I, you know, we were running a Roland SP 540 V and, uh, it, it's a solvent inkjet printer. And of course the smell of it, all of that, I figured out, you know, okay, this is how you load media. This is how you use VersaWorks. Okay, I'm printing. Oh, but I'm getting these lines on the print. I don't know what to do. And I, oh, there's gotta be something. And the only solution I could figure out at the time was to sit there and hold the banner as it was coming out. So I was sitting there manually taking up about 150 linear feet of banner, yeah, yeah. just hoping, cause you know, it's, it's the sign, but they need it tomorrow. It's the sign business. 
Um, and for that me, was my for me. For, for me, uh, I don't mean to stop you there, Evan, but I love that you said that. It just shows how like really into this business you really are, because only a true person in the sign industry could say something like that and know that. I have that's had legit. experience that's legit. Like <laughs> yeah. you have, you have been in the trenches, you know, for me, it was crumpled up pieces of tape, a blue painter's tape, like put underneath the vinyl so that it like comes out straighter. Oh, and yeah. then those little, those little like Harbor freight squeeze clamps that you could like put on it so that it keeps it taut and wait, you know, I mean like it's, that's so funny that you've been there and I, I haven't heard too many of my clients or anybody that I've worked with, like, say that. So I know now exactly who I'm talking to. Oh man, awesome. I gotta, I gotta tell you that, um, that that began, you know, the the whole sign journey, right? And and of course, like I said, we're working out of a pole barn, which we had. I yep. think we started in November. He gave us until January to move out. Um, so I found uh, a little 1,500 square foot spot in a strip mall, and. Uh, and I remember nobody was available to help me on move weekend. So it was just me <clears throat> moving everything and getting the new shop set up. And I mean, I did it. Of course I did it because come Monday we have to get back to work. So I couldn't just not do it. Um, but yeah, that relationship with that Roland, the Roland was a great printer. I will say that I learned how to take every safety feature off of it how to get it completely taken apart. <laughs> like it was like the most manual printer since like a, a Heidelberg press or something. Like if you weren't watching it and it didn't have media, it was just going to like spew ink on the floor. Like I needed it to work, you know, oh, I didn't, geez. I didn't have money to go yeah. get another printer. Like that's what I had. Um, yep. but yeah, it was, it was great. I learned, you know, everybody that takes that step where they're thinking about, Oh, I want to go be my own boss. Or they look at their boss and they think, man, this person has no I idea. Can I can do it way better. Well, I learned all the things that I didn't know. Like mm -hmm. I, I learned what it meant to be in the shop without leaving, sleeping on the work tables, be there for 72 hours at a time. You know, I, I learned what it meant to uh, have somebody else making promises that you have to deliver on. And now you're the one that's got to make it happen. Um, I, I learned about, you know, the stuff that a lot of people don't think about that, Hey, if it's too much work and you literally can't get it done and you've got to pay somebody else to help you, well, the cash flow, right? You, you got to pay that person, even if your customers haven't paid you yet. And guess who's not getting a check? You like, you can't yeah. not pay your employee. And, um, so it was a lot of great struggles, but also a lot of great opportunities, learning opportunities to know okay, this is the kind of person I want to be. I always told myself I wanted to be this kind of a boss. Well, now's my chance to really do it. I always told myself I wanted to deliver this way for my customers. Well, now's the opportunity for me to actually do that. And, you know, we grew. I think um, the person we bought that business from, they were using it sort of like a tax write-off to just funnel expenses into. Uh, they were grossing maybe like 30K a year. It was nothing. Like they were losing oh, yeah. money on just hemorrhaging. So we set up a new LLC and transferred, you know, the book of business and all of that. So we didn't take on any of that liability. And I think in our first year, it was just me and my sister and we did about 180. And then the second year we were about like mid threes. And then I noticed like there was a cap for our market. That was, that was kind of it. You know, we were not a franchise brand. We didn't have name recognition. We didn't have a sales team out there. 
it was just us kind of in the shop working. And then also we were in kind of a saturated market. There were actually small, small market, not that many customers, but a lot of sign shops. So it was kind of like a race to the bottom when it came to pricing things. Mm. You know, you're sitting there and your customer's like, man, I got to tell you, $4 a square foot for a banner, that's just too much. You know, down the street, they're charging me $250. And you're like, well, $250, I'm going to go buy it from them. Like, yeah. you, you don't know what to do. It was incredibly common in this industry. Yes. Like that's a, you hop on the forums. That's the first thing you hear is like, Hey, this guy's undercutting me. And it's like, well, like it let him, let, I mean, what do you do? Yeah. You know? I mean, that's, it's, that's it. It's like, you have to find your customers. And the problem with that particular geographic location was we had soaked up all the customers. There, there were no more customers to bring into the market. So, uh, you know, now this is the downside of being in a family business is that when you're in the business, and this was a thing that I learned, and then I think other people should learn it as well, it's important to document what it is that you're doing, even when you're so busy that you don't wanna take the time to do that. The reason is when you're working for 24 hours straight and then somebody asks you on what, what did you do? When you've been working for 24 hours straight, you're like on everything. What do you mean? You can't enunciate it. You can't say, oh, well, I did job for customer A, for company C, for so-and-so B, for whatever. You can't list those things out. Oh, I did payroll. I did this administrative task, blah, blah, blah. So you can't communicate effectively. So that's one thing that I, a piece of advice I definitely learned is you got to document what you're doing. And then the second is that, and this is just a problem that I personally had. Your family might may not be this way. But when I had things that I wanted to accomplish professionally, my family didn't hear that necessarily from Evan, the professional. They heard that from Evan, you know, my brother, Evan, my son, Evan, whoever. Mm. Like, oh, that's just Evan. Like, he he doesn't, no, mm. we're, we don't really have to go into a new market. We don't have to think about what our geographic boundaries are. We don't have to do that kind of stuff. So. And what I oh, there, there's definitely a lot of interesting dynamics in family business. Oh yeah, well, and and you know, I, this was another good opportunity that happened though. Was for one, a mistake that I made was I let myself. I think a lot of shop operators are used to kind of like if you think about the tachometer on your vehicle, they're used to operating in the yellow and the red. They they don't know what it feels like to just go two thousand RPMs because they're going like six thousand all the time. And I was definitely that way. So I didn't know what my limit was until I hit it. And then when I hit it, it was like, okay. And the basically what I said to my family was, I can be in this business or I can be in this family, but I can't do both. And what I'm going to decide to do is leave this business. Because I think in the long run, it's going to be better for all of us if I just leave this. Don't take any resentment. Don't take anything. You guys have the tools that you need and I'll go find something else to do. And that was really a hard pill for them to swallow. Um, that I think it, you know, we did talk again, but it took a year before it was like, okay, let's have Christmas. You know, let's, let's actually have these mm -hmm. conversations. We couldn't talk about business for, I think at least six years just because wow. just the hard feelings that were there. But me leaving that, I was like, okay, I'm cold turkey leaving. What am I going to go do? Just so happened I knew of another sign business kind of where I came from. Uh, and they actually weren't in signs at the time. They were only in, it was, I knew them from doing print media. 
So they printed newspapers and magazines and stuff like that. And I was like, hey, I see that you guys are trying to stand up a wide format department. Well, I ran my own business for a couple of years. Do you need somebody to help you with that? And they're like, absolutely. Come in. Uh, and that was when I felt I really got my real introduction to working in a larger shop with larger customers that right off the bat, you know, we had a five by 10 flatbed direct to substrate UV printer. We had a five by 10 belt fed Kongsberg. Um, I had another uh, CNC that was in a back room. You know, we had our work tables. We, we were uh, 3M, not just certified installers, but 3M certified shop so that we could bring our vehicles in. And so I learned all of the procedures and I learned every single machine to the point that I think it took me three months before I could have operators on those machines instead of me doing everything. And just like, hey, push this button, do this, drag this over here. That's all you need to do. I've already got everything designed. Like, I just need you to hit go. And that was another, again, great opportunity that get to work with this big equipment that I certainly couldn't afford and work with these big customers that it's like, hey, you know, these are awesome jobs, things that we don't think about. One of my favorite ones was actually, uh, have you ever seen the ice vending machines? So, yes, right. So there was a local company that their worldwide distribution, they manufactured their cabinets out of Lexan and they were getting this printed somewhere in like Minnesota. We're in Georgia. And I was like, all right, well, what's your lead time? Like, well, about a month. I was like, what if I said, you know, we're right down the street. We could do the same exact product for you and we could get it to you in five days. They're like, that would be amazing. I was like, including we're not just going to print it. We're going to CNC route it to your spec. So all you got to do is just take this piece, put it on your assembly line. That's it. Every time you sell an ice machine, we are giving you something that goes into your process. So now we're a part of your manufacturing. And they're like, absolutely, let's go. Let's do it. And that was, you know, that's a great account. That's That alone is like a $300,000 a year account. And anyway, it's again, just great, awesome opportunities. And I want to stop talking for a second. If you had any questions. Yeah, no, no. Like one of the questions that I had was like, did they have all this equipment like waiting when you came in or like you helped through the procurement of of all of that? Or what did that look like? No, I wasn't there for procurement, which I think was actually probably a good thing because I don't think at that point, after only being in for two years, I had enough experience to really tell them what they would need to do and how they would need to scale. And that's why I think it was a great learning opportunity for me because I went from, okay, roll to roll shop, which we were good. I mean, you uh, you would think small South Georgia agricultural town, there's not that many signs to do. There's a lot of logistics, like a lot of trucks, a lot of, so Mm. like we were, I would print sometimes, you know, six rolls of media at a time, you know, that's how many rolls we were printing, like just for a order. Um, and that's because these things need to go on semi trailers or whatever. So go from that environment right. to, okay, now we're thinking about how can I manufacture these parts that go into somebody's production process? I don't think I had a good understanding of that before I arrived at that next company, but the experience that I gained from learning and, and, you know, to what Peter was talking about, Every morning I'm in there, you know, cleaning all the heads physically on that UV printer, making sure there's like, I knew, and you know this, if you work in a shop, you know what your equipment sounds like. Like I I can't, I still have like, I think I have PTSD from, from the Mamaki (laughs) plotter that I used to run. 
like I would hear it move and I just like whatever I was doing, I it was like an instinct. It's like a baby crying or something. You just like drop everything and go run. Like, is it about to destroy and, yeah. my print? Ruin this, uh, you know, this $3,000 job. That's <laughs> something I have to waste three hours reprinting it. Yes. I mean, it's still to the point that I haven't used that, that same Amaki plotter in like, I don't know, eight years. I still like, if I hear a graph tech move a certain way, I'm like, Oh my God, is the print. Okay. I, like I've, um, yeah, I've done that so many times, like back in the old shop, we, we actually did not only signage, but apparel as well. So like one area, we had like a 60 by hundred building. We had embroidery in one area. I felt like I needed a pair of roller skates because like you could hear something going on with one of the embroidery machines. It was all the way across the shop. And then hey, like, you know, you turn around and then you've got the flatbed printer, you know, you hear something weird going on there. And we had a CET that had a, a belt that would walk uh, up and down. So like if you were doing 150 or 100 feet uh, of a banner material, you had to babysit it. So I've been there for sure. That's crazy. No, that's well. And yeah, I guess getting to that, that. So the experience level, like what you're talking about, using those pieces of equipment, it gives you so much knowledge that, that you couldn't even really think about until you started working that like, okay, not only do I need to know how each one of these pieces of equipment is supposed to work, but like, how do they fail? What do they sound like when that's happening? How do I really run these things? And that's the kind of experience that I got working in a bigger shop that was, you know, bankrolled by somebody else. Um, and eventually, again, like I mentioned, sort of at the beginning, having the opportunity to grow out of places, which I don't, I don't burn bridges. I don't do that. So it was always leaving with good relationships that I could still have referral partners as I moved along because uh, that's important. And well, it, I'll put it this way. One of the things I thought about when I was at that shop was I was like, you know what? I think I have an opportunity here that I could do a lot of great things at this shop, but in what areas can I grow? Like I'm good at production. So that's an area. I actually am very good at design. So that's an area, but like, what are the caps on that? Who are the designers? I know who are the production people I know what, how much do they make? And what does that look like? And then it was like, okay, well, what about marketing? What about sales? And I was like, I will tell you this. My dad has been a salesperson my entire life. And I always told myself, I would never, ever going to be a salesperson. Like, I do not want to do that. But yeah. that of the options I was thinking of, that was the only one that I was like, oh, you know what? If I learn a lot about this business, that's kind of unlimited, uncapped potential. And it's a necessary part because there's nothing to design and nothing to make if you haven't sold anything. So... I took on a sales position and it was sort of a hybrid position because when I went to sales, also classic of sign shops, you have very few people that work there, right? So you wear mm -hmm. multiple hats, even as an employee. So it's like, yes, I was in sales, but also I was still doing all the production design. And also I was still having to like troubleshoot machines and stuff like that. Um, and I was like, look, I, you know, you're holding me back from being able to go and do sales. So I can't even focus on this job, like to see right. if I'm any good at it or not. So I ended up taking another job and the next job was actually running a fast signs, which was again, a unique learning opportunity. 
because it was small. I want to call it like mom and pop, kind of like what me and my sister had, where it's roll to roll. Uh, there's, I think, including me, four employees, but it comes with that corporate name. And like, what do you really get for the franchise agreement, right? What what are your royalties paying for? And it also allowed me the opportunity to learn a lot more about operations. And before, it's like, I knew money was important. I knew like, oh, but we're making signs, so we're fine, right? Well, mm. the first thing I had to do being over operations is come in, look at the numbers, check out what's happening, what is the health of the business, by the numbers. And I think a lot of people that work for themselves or have their own business, they miss out on that. You know, you hear a lot of like idioms. And one of those idioms is that money is the lifeblood of a business. And people hear that and they're like, no, that's not true. I'm I'm the heart of the business. Like what I make, my product is the heart of the business. And I'm here to tell you, no, it's not. Because <laughs> a good thing to call out for sure. I mean, you can have the, you're the best person in the world with the greatest product in the world. If you're not selling it, if money's not flowing, like that's, that's dead. That's a dead business. So, yeah. and I'm sure like Peter, like you could speak to this, like how many guys do you talk to that are like, Hey, I see every day the volume of work going out and I know, and I, I see the numbers, but at the end of the year, when it, when I look at the bottom line, it's like, where, where's that actual profit that I thought we were making the entire year? Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, Look, I mean, I actually get that a lot, but there's usually an answer to that. There, it's not that it's uh, it's not that it's gone. It's not that it's away. You know, it's it, there is a reason for where all of that money had gone. You know, we need to. Is it your pricing? Are you charging enough for your time? You know, a lot of times that that right there is is where most people go to. But actually. I have a I have a very interesting topic to talk about here, and this is something that is kind of on this path here of where does all that money go? Where does all, all that time go? So I was in a seminar recently, and we were it was a home services seminar, and quite honestly, home services is probably one of the easiest areas to sell hours, okay? Because you know it takes you five hours to do a repair. This is our hourly rate. It's great. You know, it's super math, it's super easy math uh, in a lot of areas that that makes a lot of sense. But what happens is, is that in the sign industry, because we don't quite have a service that takes certain hours, you have to calculate how many hours a project is going to take in different departments, right? So in, all, in a lot of areas, in a lot of shops, it has nothing to do with the knowledge of your billable rate, but maybe not charging the right amount of hours. So when you're talking about profitability and like, I'm wasting all this time and I'm, okay, well, what's your hourly rate? It's $200 an hour. Okay, well, at least you know that, right? But how many hours did you sell for this project, right? And how many hours did you actually work on this project? And that there, right there, that difference is definitely probably where a lot of that profit goes out the window. Like you're working your butt off you think you made a fair price, but you actually took longer to complete the project. And that's a hidden, it's a hidden metric, right? It's right. a hidden metric. It's not going to show up on any kind of KPIs. It's not going to show up on any type of job costing report, right? It's going to say, you, you have to kind of 
keep track of that on your own, right? There's no software. Shopbox doesn't do this. Corbridge doesn't do this. There's nobody that's going to say, well, we sold 30 hours and it took 22. Okay, you great. You've made a surplus of eight hours or, or what, you know, what, what is that Delta? What were you over? Were you under? And in a lot of places, people are selling based off price. They're, they're not asserting their value. They're thinking this is our market value. This is our market price. Mm. And Okay. If it took you, if you took your shop six hours, but it could take another shop three hours with a different type of machine, one that you don't have to hold onto the banner <laughs> as it comes out. You know, if it comes out, you know, maybe they have a faster printing machine. Maybe they have five people that can, you know, hem grommet and seam a banner in forty minutes, where it take you two hours. You know, I don't know. I'm I'm making all of this up as I go, but the fact is, is that. The minutia of those details is often where people get the answer to their problem, which is I'm working my ass off, but I have $10 at the end of the day. I can barely get gas with this. What was it all worth it? So that's right. usually the, that's the biggest takeaway. It's not often the price that you're charging. It's not often the markup on the materials. I mean, that's all easy stuff. It's often the hours that you're selling is not enough to take on the scope of the project. Yeah. Uh, definitely a challenge in operations. Well, I was going to so, say, I definitely see that. And one of the great opportunities that I had going to fast signs and you hit on it is actually, I think at that time they, that was at the same time they were making the switch from their previous ERP to Corebridge. And so I set up Corebridge mm -hmm. for fast, for that particular fast signs franchise. And that was the first time that everything I knew that I was working with my sister about, hey, we need to be tracking this, 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 and this. So we know where is our money really going? Well, now it was, I was working with a system that I was building out to do that. And I mean, there, you're right. There's a lot of stuff that's not in Corebridge, but there was a lot of stuff that I could dive into like, hey, you know, we own the building. Great, but we're still paying on it. So, you know, this printer takes up X number of square feet and we have X number available. So right away, even if it's doing nothing, even if it's unplugged, it costs money just sitting there taking up space. And then, you know, looking at the real actual costs, things that people gloss over like, oh, yeah, I don't I don't consider ink one of my costs. I'm like, mm. no, man, like depending on what yeah. printer you're running and how many layers of ink you're doing or it's like 12 cent a square foot, 32 cent a square foot. It depends. You know, um, and it's important because it adds up. And then that was one of the things that I implemented immediately with the staff there was I did my job to make sure on the back end without them having to do anything that we understood what our costs were. So it's like, great. You sold a banner for a hundred bucks. That's awesome. How much did it actually cost us? And that one point that you're talking about, I, it was, I had to implement my own system to track time. How many jobs do we actually get out? in a day like how long did it actually take and yeah. so i would pick jobs i was like look i'm tracking these jobs we're gonna track every job this week i'm gonna i want to time in and time out on every single time somebody touches this so then you have an overall time right <laughs> like oh yeah it took us a week for the job to get out but how many hours did we actually put into the actual job um yep. and yep. so yeah that was huge the other huge thing that and i I will say like, yeah, everybody in their businesses, they got different ways they want to run. If you want to really know what's going on, you got to be willing to stop what you're doing and take the time to really dive in. 
And a lot of times with a, an owner, with an owner mentality, you're stressed. You're thinking about how do I make the next paycheck? How do I get the next sale? You're like figuring out where your costs are. That feels like minutia. You feel like I don't have time for that, but it's important stuff. It's like, are you carrying like 50% margin with you when you could be carrying 80%, you know, like how do you make more money doing the same amount of work? And is it worth looking at that? And my, in my case, a lot of times, yes, it's worth looking at how efficiently are you making your money? Because if you can work the same amount for a hundred dollars as you were working for 50, like make the hundred. Yeah. Agreed. Now, a huge part of working for that particular franchise, looking at the numbers, what was great was even though a lot of stuff was missing, it was very obvious. It was my introduction to, I guess, uh, what we say, forensic accounting, where it's like, oh, somebody's stealing and they're stealing a lot. Uh And the great thing about working with a franchise like that is that you have people that are supposed to come and talk to you about how does your store perform compared to other stores? How much are you selling? Like what kind of products? What are you selling them for versus other stores? All that kind of stuff. So I had all the metrics of how a fast signs was supposed to operate. Supposed to run. Yeah. And that's uh, like the business development rep, right? That's right. Is that right? Peter, Peter's a former fast science guy as well. He, he actually oh, built it oh, and man. sold a franchise to fast signs and then had a fast signs and I'm sure he'll buy another fast signs at some well, point. So you get it and it's and depending on how your rep is and how your market is, there's there's some back and forth, right? Like there's for instance, I was told, Hey, you need to go up to this square foot pricing on this product and I was like, No. I've been in this market long enough that I know what this is what people are buying and this is what we're comfortable selling. What I am willing to do is make sure that we do it efficiently. So for instance, something that a lot of shop owners, and I, I don't know if it's a pride thing or they don't realize this is an option, is that you can outsource. You don't have to do everything yourself with your equipment. For instance, let's say like 100% of your workforce is working on this job for your biggest customer. Meanwhile, you have other customers that still want stuff. Well, guess what? You don't have to work second shifts and third shifts to try to accommodate everybody. Sometimes the cheaper solution might be just buy it from somebody else and sell it to your customer make a smaller margin on that, but you're going to make more money and have a happier customer than if you were trying to do it yourself and overworking yourself and your employees. That is an option. But anyway, it was pretty easy to step into this particular franchise and see like, okay, we're underperforming by about 70% compared to other stores. Uh, A huge part of this is somebody stealing. Um, So we're getting rid of that. We're doing employee turnover. I got very, very lucky I was able to get a great, in uh, and, and fast signs, that front desk person, we call them inside sales. So I had a great yeah. inside sales person that, and I will say this, a lot of my restaurant training came in great at a fast signs because I already could speak corporate. And I understood when you're on, when you're on a grill line, you have grill operators and they're each stationed in this particular spot. They can all do everything. But if you have somebody in slot one, it doesn't make sense for them to come over to slot four and then do something for that person. They can work in two, but not in three or four because then you're losing their efficiency by taking them too many slots away. So in my fast signs operation, it was like, look, you're inside sales. 
You're going to help build customers, talk to them. I'll let you get a little bit into design and understanding how manufacturing stuff works, but I don't ever want you in manufacturing. All I ever want you to do is be here, taking care of customers and possibly assisting with design. The designer, their station too, is like, okay, you're going to answer the phone sometimes. That's just a thing that's going to happen. I know you're not going to be as good as our front desk person, but it is going to happen. You're not going to manufacture, but you're going to know how to run these printers so that if the manufacturing person can't do it, you can't. I don't want you installing. That's not your job. You stay right here. Same way, manufacturing person. All right, you're going to understand how to run these printers. It's not your main job. Your main job is to put the science together, you know, and it keep going down the line that way to maintain these efficiencies and personnel. Um, And what really, though, made it a successful franchise was going from being completely in-house to having me, once I had the team set up, that freed up my time to go be an outside salesperson. Then at that point, it was like, okay, great. We're running what we need to run in-house. We're manufacturing the things that we're good at manufacturing, that we make a high margin on, like banners and vinyl, that we have installation services that we're comfortable with doing. Like we're comfortable with doing these types of wraps or these types of decals. Not every wrap, not every decal. And then I'm able to set up my vendor list of, all right, all right who's a good wholesaler? that I got somebody because of the name that they were like, hey, I need to have a sign cabinet. I don't make sign cabinets. Like I don't, I don't put, you know, electronics. I don't do ballast. I, I don't have a crane. I don't do metal fab. Like we're not set up for that, but I'm going to sell it. And then those projects, of course, that's when I really understood, okay, you have different projects with different lead times. So. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to stop you right there. I'm going to stop you right there. All right. Uh, a lot of times when we bring on guests here, they're super excited, but they, they talk, they talk, they talk. And I have so many notes <laughs> yeah. here. I want to stop yeah. here because this is a, this is an interest. This is a, uh, this is an interesting piece of the puzzle. Now, personally, I'm vibing you right in here, Evan. Not, not, not to the point I want to date okay, you. Okay. Okay. But like, to maybe if I get my mustache <laughs> back. Yeah. To, yeah. <laughs> I'll leave the mustache talk for you. Okay. Brian. Okay. Like, right. You guys got, you guys got some hell of a, a stash going there. But um, for me, you would make an excellent business partner for me, right? Like you have this, this do whatever it takes mentality. I think you're more of a hunter than a farmer, but I would like to, I think we're going to hear more about your farming abilities here in in just a bit, in just a bit. But you do come off as that um, never say no type of guy, right? Never say no type of guy. We're going to find a solution. Like you're a solutions hunter. Right to me. And I, and I love that because that, you know, I, I echo that I am a solutions hunter as well, but I want to ask you a question. You, you talked about, you just mentioned like, you don't have a crane, you don't get into like metal fab or, you know, whatever. And, and, and fa- that's not, okay. So I'll, I'll, I'll put my fast science hat on for a minute. That is not the fast sciences model, right? The majority of their centers, they don't practice this area of sign making. They use their vendor networks, they outsource, you know, I was there, I've been there and I've done that. But what, for somebody like yourself, I'm actually very genuinely honest to hear your opinion. I don't even know which way it's going to go here, but indulge me. Have you ever thought about getting a full fledged shop going, you know, knowing that you could jump out of vinyl into fab because you are in that area of like, if I get that somebody that's going to ask, 
I'm going to do it. I'm going to say yes. You know, I'm going to do whatever I can. And I'm going to find a vendor to outsource it. But if you do enough of that, does that transition your mindset into thinking maybe, you know, maybe should I be getting a break and maybe a CNC machine, maybe getting the hiring one or two more guys, maybe what not? Well, you know, take so yeah, to your point, then I would say anybody in any business that you start out and you don't really have anything, right? Your ground roots and you think about something you want to get into. Well, that's a high investment cost to buy the means of manufacturing. So if you don't have that means at first you're vending and you're outsourcing, but it's important in my mind to know as soon as you start that part of your business plan should be how long am I going to vend before it hits a point where it makes sense for me to manufacture in house, but you got to understand the cost of it. Like what you were talking about, how much does the personnel cost? How much does the equipment cost? How much does the facility cost? And what are the other unknowns? Like what's your buffer range for, What's going to go wrong? What kind of maintenance you got to do? All that kind of stuff. So now to answer the question more directly, of course, yes, I've thought about it because I am a very analytic person and I like, I'm one of those weird people that, you know, you drive down the road and somebody's like, oh, you know what would be real good right there? A popcorn shop. Then I'm like, okay. And I immediately in my head, I'm like, okay, what's the business plan for a popcorn shop? How does it work? What's required to do that? What is the market like? What is the support? Who else is already doing it? You know, you think of your SWOT analysis, blah, blah, blah. But this is all stuff that I didn't know before I got into the sign business. The sign industry has forced me to learn all of this for me to be successful. And I think a lot of your questions too. Say that again. Say that again. (laughs) And scream it from the mountaintops. Say that again. So you got it. You. This industry taught you what? Being in this industry taught me that it is important to really understand your business, not to think that you know everything, to be self-critical, to be able to take advice, to look around you and think about how can I do this better? You're not the king of the hill. There's always opportunities to be better. You know, I love watching sports documentaries and not because I'm a huge sports person, but because I do have some of that that competitiveness in myself and it's not necessarily that i want to knock somebody off the top it's more for me how do i get to be better than they are what is it that they're doing that makes them so successful and how can i do that and what is it and what you're talking about with about find the solution yes i do that for my customers but i have to do that for myself too like be willing to say like okay i was doing it wrong I had the wrong mindset. I talked to my employees the wrong way. I didn't have effective communication. I thought that what my highest profitable product was, it was it's just incorrect. Like my best product is actually this other thing. You know, I thought this was a great way to make money off the of installations. Turns out, no, because it's taking my resources from somewhere else. You know, it's being able to really, number one, analyze, watch what's going on, measure it. And number two, be willing to accept the data that you're given. Like, it's not working. I was doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. And then figure out the solution. What What do you have to do next? And sometimes that takes an advisor. That takes somebody from outside, right? That takes somebody in a network. Sometimes the, the answers are obvious. In my case, I was lucky enough to being somebody that had no, like, let me just put this out there. I don't have a college degree, okay? I went to high school. I graduated from high school. I was told I needed to go to college. All I got from college was pretty much debt. 
I had to start working to provide for a family that I wanted. And, but that doesn't mean that just because you didn't go to college, some of the best people that I work with, they are some of the most stereotypical Southern country boys you would ever know, but they know how to run their business efficiently. They, they have internalized the numbers matter. And so they look at it every day, but I hope that gets to some of what you were talking about, Peter, as far as growing, that was the next step in my journey that actually I left fast signs, that fast signs franchise to go work for one of the vendors that I was selling for because I was selling so many lighted cabinets and digital displays that they were like, you have got to come work for us. And they took me on as a business <laughs> development manager. but i mean you know i I don't burn bridges i you know i we left on you know good business terms you know it made sense that you know the franchise wasn't able to offer me what the other company was yeah hey i still referred business i look i don't talk bad about this places i work Uh for and then so i worked for this company and you went from i went from working including me five five people to working in a manufacturing sign shop where we had 40, 40 employees. And, you know, we were at the time, I think when we came on about 5.5 million a year gross. And I was not even a salesperson, but I think that that year that I worked there, I sold a million. And that was because of the opportunities that were there. Like I learned what, what my skills are to your point about being a solutions finder, like the hunter versus the farmer. I love being a farmer. That's where I feel most comfortable. However, my boss at that job, he told me, he gave me this analogy. He's like, Evan, you're like one of those prairie plains hunters that you see something that's out there like 400 yards away and you're going to dedicate all your time and your focus to hit that one target. He was like, I am more like a rabbit hunter. I see something move next to me and I shoot it with a shotgun and I it's done. I got it. He's like, but I used to not understand the value of somebody like you until you sold the biggest job we have ever sold in the history of the company. And that's from taking the risk, talking to people, finding solutions, not, no, we can't do that. Like, hmm, let's figure out a way to do that. And so it was fantastic experience working in that. And if for no other reason... I loved going and talking to the guys in the shop every day. I would walk back there, make sure that they understood like, yeah, I'm on the sales force. Yeah. I'm technically your boss. But what I want is to figure out what do I need to sell? That's going to make your job easier. Cause ultimately I want to give the customer a great product that they love. So I'm not going to give you something to design and manufacture that makes no sense. Like let's figure out how can we work together as a team? I, it was a great opportunity. Sorry, I'll leave some space there. You're right. I talk way too much. Yeah, yeah. No, no, you're good, man. It's uh, I, I, like I, I'm just like listening to you go on your story, and it's a, like you have hit like every like type of shop, every position within the shop. Uh, so it like carries through. Like, yeah. So. It, it, Bring it, bring us so up. There's to, only two to more now, steps. Right? Is this, is that the, the last shop? Is so, it, yeah. uh, well, great shop. I, um, I really, one thing that I still have to learn more about that I feel like affected me at that shop was, uh, imposter syndrome. Like I said, 
I feel like I made a, a very steep rise very quickly. I felt like, you know, no degree. And here I am with guys that have been in the business 20 years and I'm the business development manager. Like I've been in this at that point, like seven, like, why, why am I here? What am I doing? Yeah. I'm making sales, but it just, in my mind, it, I didn't feel like I really belonged there. Like I was supposed to be there that I was doing the work I was supposed to do. I tried kind of telling myself, you know, it's a family owned business. I'm not a family member. It's, you know, I'm going to end up being like other production managers that I had seen before where they work 30 years and then they get injured and it's like, okay, well, thanks for all your work. Bye. You know, I, I, but I, at the end of the day, I can say that they did feel like family. I honestly cared about everybody that I worked with. They cared about me, but I, I don't know what else to define it other than possibly imposter syndrome that I felt like I just didn't fit in. And an opportunity was presented to me to uh, take a Minuteman franchise and get them into wide format. And it was in the same market that I'd already been working in. I knew all the numbers after, especially after working at a fast signs, like I knew exactly, Hey, this is the kind of equipment we need to get. This is how much staff we need. This is how much they're going to cost This is how much the equipment costs. This is with your brand and you taking things in house. This is how much money we can expect to make in the first year. I had the whole, the whole plan. And we, I went to that. We were on target. We started with roll to roll. Um, we started off site cause there wasn't enough room for us to be at the, the main location. My goal was I wanted to do 160 uh, K gross that first year we did 180 and that was with only me as the wide format employee. So I was the salesperson, the marketer, the designer, the production, the installer, like, yes. Doing all of it. Now, hey, like coming into this one, did you hey, like negotiate for equity? So in that business? was, or hey, like, did, were you having those conversations? Because, and I bring this up because it, like some people in the industry are, are just not made right. to be owners. I talk to a lot of po- people that hey, like, they feel like they have to be something they're not in, in order to achieve like success or be financially stable, which, you know, it's, it's kind of like a limiting factor kind of goes back to that imposter syndrome of like, Hey, I I own this shop. And because I employ five people, I feel like I have to be the operations manager as well. Even though I'm not good at that, I don't like it. And, you know, I, maybe I'm like (laughs) not so good with employees, but yeah, at this point, are you are you negotiating for equity in any of these? Like, is your is your mind it, on ownership? Definitely at this point. Yeah, journey, it definitely or? is. And what we ultimately ended up doing was basically kind of like a a handsome looking uh, commission package uh, based off of certain numbers and growth projections. I, I will tell you that looking at just the numbers, the shop that I left to go do this, uh, I used that their counter offer as my metric for, okay, what am I trying to achieve at this new venture? And I want to achieve it within the first two years. Um, and for me, the offer at the shop that I left was well into six figures. And so I was like, okay, so going to this new thing, like here's my base pay, here's the commission schedule. Is it achievable? Yes. Uh, what I did not account for though, is that when you are not the owner, meaning you are not the one that is ultimately making the financial decisions that I found a new trap. I'll I'll just say that I found a new trap that I didn't know existed. Mm -hmm. And that trap was Evan is a really great worker. He can run 
five of these machines at the same time. So why don't we just buy more machines and let's make Evan run more stuff. Now, what they did not understand, I could not get them to understand was for me, it was like I was a truck driver and they bought another truck. Like, how am I supposed to drive two trucks at the same time? Like I was, my, my output potential was capped because I was, I, even when we grew a little bit more and we got a direct substrate machine, we got a new facility, we got a flatbed CNC. We still had the roll to roll stuff. Of course, I was still, I did get one employee. We found a unicorn. He was magical. He was amazing. He had some design experience, had grown up in a print shop with his grandparents. So he knew the work that was required and he caught on like immediately. I could tell, I could show him everything about the machines, but even then I was, I was on a leash, but this leash was not a leash of, no, I don't want you to go out and sell to those people or no, I don't want you to go spend money on marketing. The leash was, we can only produce so much because we are capped by our personnel and we are not willing to hire more personnel. So that means my face is out there. The customers know me and then it's up to me to produce everything, but I'm not the one calling the shots. So that's why. And you're, you're doing the selling and the production and like, yeah, there's only so much of Evan to go around, obviously. And I started thinking about leaving, but I wanted to negotiate everything first. And I was like, look, what would make sense for the company is actually take me out of anything to do with production. Like I, I could be, you know, an overall department manager to review performance and look at numbers, but really I need to be out selling so that that will really make our company grow. Unfortunately, the offer that I got for that was, well, if you're outside sell- selling, I want you to be commission only. And if you're commission only, I want you making 10%. And I was like, that is ludicrous. I could literally be your wholesale yeah. customer and make at least 40%. Why would I work for you for 10%? So it, I was just like, okay, I, I've got, what really did it for me though, is and I care about my customers uh, a lot. I don't ever want to tell a customer, I'm going to get this to you tomorrow and then not be able to do it. And that's what was happening. I was being held back to that point. And I was like, okay, it's time to go. And so that, that gets us caught up to uh, now. I, and that's like a, I I see that so often. It is like sales is that's, that is the business, right? Like, I, 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 I talk to a lot of owners that like, Hey, I'm not a salesperson. I don't really want to do sales. But unfortunately, like if you don't have a good sales rep and they're not involved on like a deeper level where they're incentivized to go sell, like, who does that fall to? Like it falls to you. Like you've got to get yourself out there. Uh, whether you like it or not, you've got to be you're so right. The and so that goes back to what I said. I never wanted to be a salesperson. I used to legitimately believe that by just having a good product, and people receiving that product, that's enough. And sometimes it is. Sometimes that is enough. But what's going to make you really successful that you're not worrying about your paycheck this week because you've got the next two months covered, that's the outside sales force. That's making sure that people are actually going out and grabbing that market because we know it. All of us here on this podcast, we know it that somebody, a church is like, I need a banner. They're not looking for like local sign shop near me. No, they're looking for church banners. That's what they're looking for. And if they don't know you, then they're not going to know to go talk to you. They don't even know that you exist. 
So like you have to have somebody going out there to represent you or else you're going to forever just be on that grind where you're like, I'm worried about, am I going to be able to pay myself this week? Am I going to be able to cover my shop this week? Like, so I, I will put this in point two. Now for the first time ever, I am doing no manufacturing in-house. I'm doing some installations because I'm a pretty good vinyl installer and there's money to be made at that. But 100%, it's pretty much like project management for me. So right now, my company exists off of primarily just me selling and managing product projects. And that I wouldn't know how to do any of that if I hadn't gone through all the steps that I've been through previously. So I operate as a one-man company the same way I do with like yeah. a 40-man team that I have all the same structures in place that I, I consider, I call it to myself, I call it dummy proofing it. So it's like, all right, Evan, you idiot here. This is what you're supposed to be doing today. You know, like I have those meetings with myself every morning mm -hmm. and every afternoon. What do you have to do today? What did you accomplish today? What do you got to work on tomorrow? What's your schedule like? You know, I, I do it every single day and I check myself throughout the day. Like it's just necessary the same way that I would with an employee. I, I just have to. And sorry, Peter, you were making some motion. So I, yeah. all right. Hey, no, no, no. Yeah, no, I think he was I giving it, you like the like, hey, it, like this is it. I like it. I, I think I, I, personally, it, personally for me, this book never leaves yeah. my side. You know, so the pages of pages of notes throughout the day, task lists that never leaves my bedside. So the day before, it's email getting sent out, payroll being done, bookkeep. Uh, today is the first November when, when we're doing this podcast. Today is the first. So this morning it was. Reconcile right. my bank accounts, you know, from, from October, classify all the expenses, you know, make sure all of our sales reports are accurate. You know, there's, there's a lot that a business owner has to go through. And I'm so happy to hear that, that Evan, you're, you've experienced the employee side with, I could, you know, I, I'm going to jump into this business side now. And, and you're still learning that there's more that to a business owner's life than what employees see right what, what employees see is that they may say this guy's making millions and yet you know you're the last <laughs> person to get paid as an owner i want to kind of transition this conversation a little bit i want to learn a little bit about your methods i i i personally I, i've uh like i've said before i think that you're like the exact type of person i look to partner with getting into the sign business so i'm i'm eager to hear your responses to just you know, what are your methods to getting new business? What, what, how do you go about that digitally, organically? You know, are you hitting the pavement? I want to hear your methods for those sign shop owners out there that are either listening or viewing in, you know, what is it that they can do to start making, you know, a monumental leap in sales? As Okay. You well, so that gets into my style of sales, which is by default a farming. So... I do still hold a belief that if I grow naturally and by naturally, what I mean is with referral based partnerships. So one thing that I didn't talk about is business networking international. I was the president of a local chapter of BNI and I, that was where I really learned the importance of working with other businesses to refer business to each other. So just imagine kind of creating a club where, hey, this person's an accountant. They 
don't need any signs, but I talk to other businesses all the time because other businesses always buy signs. So when they say, Hey, do you know a good accountant? Guess what? I'll be like, yes, my guy right here. And then guess what? In turn, your guy that's the accountant. When a new business comes in and says, Hey, do you know a sign guy? Like, absolutely. He's right over here. Let me tell you the best sign guy that I know. Now, what that's transitioned into is that now I am, uh, I'm active in three chambers inside of a geographic area that I'm comfortable providing to. And I say that because after having drive, you know, you drive cover a certain area, there's only so much you can really do and get to in a day. And between these two counties, it's all the business that I need right now. That's for sure. Now in one of these three chambers, I actually hold a, a board seat and I run a group that we call the leads group and it's a referral based networking group. And what that is, is again, just getting a group of people together, educating them on, hey, this is how you become referral partners. And guess what? I have the opportunity for every single one of them to see me not only only as an expert in referral-based networking, but as an expert in signage. And they see me every single meeting. And I, I will tell you that me, quote unquote, growing naturally, which is every time I'm in a business situation, I'm... I just show up. I am myself. I always, always get at least one request for quote at any event that I go to. And it's not because I'm asking for them. It's because people know like Evan is the sign guy. So I'm going to ask it. I like my birthday was last month and some other people saw like, Oh, happy birthday, Evan. I was getting messages. Oh, I need a sign. And it was, it was just like, so, (laughs) and all that came from just, I tried to, make myself known when you first start it's like who are you and you're like oh i'm evan i make signs and then i just said it every single time it took at least a year before then everybody was like oh evan the sign i I would literally get stopped walking down the street like you're the sign guy right i need something for my business and (laughs) that came from it it I'm sure that the, was the mustache yeah, that was how well, the mustache right? actually started. I was like, you know, I need a gimmick. I need something that people were recognizing. Boy, did they recognize it. But I mean, so that came from, I found, I learned about like, what is my kind of marketing, right? And now, especially when I took the leap into, all right, now I'm my own business again. What I thought going into this, okay, you know, what I really want is to have an online, like web-based sales platform, which I still want. But I thought that was going to be the primary source of my income. It's not. It's not at all. I found out because I've worked so much on showing up places in person, that's where I'm highest chance of converting a sale. And the sales happen. If I'm showing up and I'm talking to somebody, I'm not even considering is this a qualified lead or not? Because I want to say this, like I've tracked it so far, more than 90% of people that I talk to considered leads, they convert. So doing all of the marketing ahead of time has meant that if I'm talking to somebody, it's because they want to buy before I even show up. And that comes from. Mm, it's a key distinction there is that, and, and like most of these customers that you're dealing with, are they like serious business owners or like, you know, people that are starting new businesses? Like, do you, do you have like a good feel for like what the percentages or how it breaks out? So I want to say it's both. And that's why I started getting more involved with uh, economic development in the area. 
So, I mean, like if you, you know, we've all done it. We've been on jobs for a new school that's going up, right? If you consider the, the cost of that school, like say it's a $10 million school, the signs like are almost like inconsequential, right? It's like maybe 50 grand worth of signs, maybe 20, depending on what they need. If and it's always an afterthought as well. Exactly. <laughs> there's not a sign schedule in the blueprints. You got to figure it out yourself. You got to count the number of doors for how many ADA signs you need, all that kind of stuff. So I started paying attention to who are the, not the businesses coming in, who are the players in the community that know every single business that's coming in. So now I know the board of commissioners. I know like the developmental authority people. So when they can see me doing good works and I'm providing for the customers and I'm getting good feedback because I always thought that's it, very important. I'm not just the slick back hair car salesman that I'm like, Hey, just drive it off the lot. Cause that's all I care about. No, 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 no. I, I need these customers to have a good experience so that they tell the next person, because not only are these businesses and these business partners, my referral partners, but these customers like these, what you might consider one-off customers, even if it was like a birthday banner, guess what? They're telling their aunt Susie that like, Hey, when little Joshua's birthday comes up, I know exactly where you need to get your banner from. And it's the same way with car wash, you know, like, oh, you know, we got our lighted LED sign from Evan and you need to do it too. Oh, you know what? We went to our distributor and they said it's going to cost X amount for us to redo our entire space, but Evan did it for Y and it was great experience. And so I've had enough time in my market now that I've gotten the reputation, but now the effort is constantly exerted on maintaining it. So I guess the question about getting new business is a lot of times I don't personally go get it. It's now I have a referral network that is out there and they're also online. We have a, a Facebook page that's local to our area that somebody will say like, Hey, I'm sorry, I'm opening up a business. Does anybody know a good sign shop? And boom, immediately people are tagging me like Evan, you need to go call Evan, check out mm -hmm. Evan, talk to Evan. And as a good referral partner, I do the same thing for them. You know, it's not one-sided. I, to maintain them, you know, everything costs something. I'm not paying these referral partners True. money, but I am referring their businesses. So I'm yeah. maintaining good I, faith I, with them. I, I, first of all, I love that you have led a BNI chapter. You hear about the, that culture just in your tone and inflection here. I mean, it's, I can't imagine being a business owner and running a chapter and introducing new people and having, it's almost like you're networking for two companies. And, and I honestly, uh, I, I, I'm thinking back to my chapter leaders over the years. And I just remember how like the active and engaged they were. And I'm like, I'm, I'm focused on my business and I, I don't got time to think about John Smith that wants to join the BNI group. So I give you a lot of credit there, more than you pro more than you know in terms of just your bandwidth, you know, Thank and, you. and and taking and taking that on is uh, an incredible feat. Um, I want to kind of again, I loved your answers and they were exactly what I was hoping for that you would say because again, you're kind of reminding you reminding me of me uh, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I've been you a little bit. I've, I've met somebody like this before that just gets it. Uh, but I, I want to hear a little bit more. I want to take that. Okay, so your your lead generating tactics are a little bit more 
I wouldn't, I, I don't want to say quite unconventional, but I would say they're say more like old school. More, well, I, okay, old school, old school. Yes, very much old school, but personable. I like it, right. and I and I really like uh, that you're you, that you're out there. You're putting yourself out there in places, in organizations, clubs, whether it is the BNI group or your chamber of commerce. But I think you've kind of dialed that in a little bit. Like you're not traveling very far. Uh, you're kind of able to go from one area to the next, and people know and understand you. I want to. I want to kind of take that though to the mindset that you have as an owner. So everybody's doing, everybody does this differently. Um, I, I have a couple of clients that I talk to weekly about this and you know, this business is not transactional. This business is consultative. I think the, the sign shop owners that understand that, that grasp that like Bryant and I, we talk about this all the time in our pricing course, we're not selling rubber ducks. You know, we're, this is a, a custom made project. This is a, uh, a project that takes time, understanding, it needs communication. It needs to understand the goals, the vision, what, after this is all done, what is it gonna do for you, Mr. Business Owner? I mean, there's a lot of consultative nature too around what we do, We, you know. But I wanna ask, when you put on that hat and that business owner hat, and you walk into a business, you said car washes before, so I'll use that as an example. Might be a tough example, but I, yeah. I'd like to see what like I like to see your answer here. You know, do you put your how do you put yourself in the limelight? How do you put yourself in the in the eyes of a, a car wash owner? Again, it could be a salon, it could be a restaurant, it could be anybody. But how do you put your how do you put them in the purview that you're the expert that they should listen to you? and why they should listen to you and how do you start building value there with that type of owner that again you don't know their business you don't know what they do every day so how do you supplant yourself in that uh, in that mindset so i'll say and i'm just going to kind of go through this scenario and i'll also preface it with again i don't consider myself a salesperson necessarily but i've found out that i can cold call and my method to doing that, like, let's say no referral. I walked into a place, maybe, maybe it's like a restaurant and I'm having dinner there with some friends. And then, uh, it happens to be, cause this happens as the owner walks by and like, Hey, how was your meal? Hope everything's good. Some manager or something like that. I was like, Hey, it's doing great. Oh, by the way, I noticed that like one of your signs out front was like somebody ran over it. It got hit. And I just want to let you know, like, I'm not saying you got to use me. I just want to give you a card. If you ever need an expert to talk to somebody like I understand, nobody knows how much signs cost. Nobody knows how long it takes to make them, but now you know somebody. So thank you very much for a great experience. I really enjoyed it. We'll be back again. And if you need help, call me. And I call that the homeward bound method because I don't know if you remember <laughs> the movie homeward bound. <laughs> Of course, do. Yes. Okay, yes. so the cat yes. is trying to teach the dog how to catch a crayfish. Okay. And he's like, how do you get it? How do you do it? And she's like, just act like you don't want it. Just like, and he's like, I don't want it. I don't want it. And then it bites him. It's like, ah, I don't want it. But, yeah. <laughs> and so it's kind of, it's a, I almost feel like a universal truth that in any kind of relationship, including the like salesperson customer relationship, You've got to act like you are fine without this sale. You are cool without it. 
you are established. You are the person that is the expert. You exude that confidence. You are comfortable talking to that person. I did not used to be that way. I promise you. I used to not at the end of a conversation with a, a potential customer, I wouldn't say, Hey, can I quote that for you? I would not ask that. Okay. I ask that now. Okay. I, I, I mean, it's so important. It's, and especially when you talk to, I think some people, again, we were talking about imposter syndrome. I think some people sell themselves too short. They think that they're talking to a customer and that they're down here and the customer is up here and, Oh, this, this huge successful business, like, uh, please, sir, just, you know, if you need anything, call me like, no, they're a business person. They operate in transactions, like tell them, I want the opportunity to quote this. If you feel like I can provide that, would you mind giving me the opportunity? I've never had anybody tell me no. I've never had anybody say, I love the ask. I, yeah, just nobody ask. has ever said no, like we're not going to give you a chance. Yeah. You just skyrocketed to one of my favorite guests at the very top of the list. <laughs> been better, better than Maggie's quote. You know, I, I love the way you asked for the opportunity. I love that. I, I can't, I can't, I can honestly say I've never done that. Uh, and, and I don't know many people that have done it. My, my old business partners don't do it. Even my best friend who owns a sign shop right now certainly doesn't ask like that. So that Bryant, when you're putting together the title of this podcast episode, you know what I mean? Like yep. that's gotta be considered to, to be the title here. Like a- asking for the sale. I, I have never heard anybody genuinely or, or, or just asking like for the asking for the opportunity to to quote yeah yeah that's it i mean i get it if you're 100 percent in a sales position you're not going to make every sale it's not going to happen we we know that but having the opportunity is important it's you know that old adage that you know you miss 100 percent of the shots you don't take so it's like it's your job why are you not taking the shot it like do it it's important like that you're worried about your paycheck your employee's paycheck you know whatever take the shot it's your responsibility it's it it's your job to do it but i think once i got past that that was cool i still have a little bit of like the reason that i network is because i even still feel like there are levels but now hanging around these people all the time has made me feel a lot more comfortable about like, okay, I, I am normalized. Exactly. It's like, look, Oh, you know, Hey, commissioner, so-and-so, Hey, that birthday I told you about all, all three mayors of the local three cities that I network in, they were all happy birthday, Evan, you know? So it's like, that's such an important thing for me of like, yeah, I I heard you going on about like, Hey, the, the B and I group, like you, you explicitly cultivated like, I know these are going to be business owners. These are people I want to be around and yep. you're just there showing up. Uh, like yep. that's, that's probably 80, 90% of it Not, is being there and, and, and that, being around yeah, more than that. It's fostering new relationships. You know, like I, I bet you it's the same people, sh- not always the same people showing up to those meetings, but the same familiar faces. And what that presents is, Hey, we're here for a reason. You know, you may not have a need this week, but maybe it's six weeks from now and I'm getting a chance to get in front of you. And you're getting a chance to get in front of me. Right. I mean, I'm sure you're in, in that in that BNI group, you got plumbers and insurance agents and all sorts of things. And you know, when the need arises, 
you have a go-to. You have a go-to. It's like you have your guy. You have your guy. And right now, Evan, you are my guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we've definitely gone a little longer than I'm we intended sorry, I, here. I, but I, I mean, this way has been too a, much. I, 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 no, no, no. It's, this has been a, a great conversation. I'll agree with Peter that you know, I think you, you've been one of my favorite guests so far as well. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, we kind of we kind of usually end these with a like a transition to the future. So, what does what does the future look like for you, Evan? What is, what does the the future look like for your sure. business? Sure, um, I've got uh, two next steps kind of vying to be step number two, um, and that's either taking on some of the manufacturing because I'm not 100% getting everything that I want from my vendors, and uh, also continuing to build on the success of vending my sales by means of having online sales. And the main purpose of that would be to take items that, you know, yard signs, banners, high margin, low cost, pass through things that even if I can make something as low as $20 a day profit, great. That's 640 bucks a month that I made from me not having to take the same amount of time that I sell somebody like a billboard to sell a hundred dollar banner. You know, it's, it's worth it to give me some relief to sort of automate that a little bit. And then plus that also has a lot to do. We haven't talked about this. My, the company, since my name is Evan Zebley, then my company is easy signs. So it, it just makes sense for the easy brand. Hey, it's easy. Just go online and get it, you know? Um, but anyway, I've got those two things going and I imagine they're probably both going to happen at the same time. I got you. Yeah. Uh, a lot of irons in the fire. Um, are you like, are you, are you looking to like with your online sales, say like just to step into that for a moment, because it's a very interesting topic for me and and one that I see like a lot of owners want to step into, uh, and it it kind of difficult with stuff like signage because it is Mm -hmm. custom even within a banner, you know? Um, how do you do that? But like, are you planning on like marketing that to a wider audience or is it more of just like, Hey, I've got my area that I serve. I may not be able to come out and talk to you for a hundred dollar banner or, you know, like if you need something quickly, like just log on, uh, are you planning on like serving a, like a national audience or is this just like a, a nice way to, you know, funnel some of that other smaller stuff into a, a more efficient Great question. My main goal is to allow myself more time so that I can go uh, work on other uh, more profitable sales. So it is I want, you know, initially just to kind of take care of some of the easier stuff, you know, because if you're dealing with a college and they've already got the graphics done, they just need to send it somewhere. And if they send it to a custom sign shop that they have to go through a salesperson, it takes three days to get a proof back or whatever. It's like, why did I do that when I could have just gone to Vistaprint and printed it right now? So I want to have a solution right now for my customers. And I do want to let it grow naturally. I, I believe it will grow, but that's going to be, again, through referrals. I'll, uh, one of, two of my favorite sales that I made while I was at Fast Signs, it was I was at Fast Signs when COVID happened. So I took that particular branch from that 300000 a year to 700 in that one year and it was during covid and while all the other owners were like what do we do i was like we're going to make some social distancing signage the thing that everybody does now right 
Well, there were a couple people inventing yeah. fire at the same time. And I was one of those people. And I was like, look, we, we have statutes that the state sent out. We're going to make these things that let it be known. That's going to help your operations. And immediately I had local companies, manufacturing companies. They were like, Hey, this is great. We want you to make it for our company here, our company in Pennsylvania, our place in Quebec and our place in California. Mm. And now I have connections with the managers of those operations. And they're like, where do we get these from last time? Who does this stuff? Oh yeah. Evan does it. Yeah. So So it's just naturally spreads. Yeah. Great. That's right. And I believe that I really, I believe this and it's anecdotal, but it is true for me is that you just try to be kind, even in like a semi cutthroat business. I don't talk bad about other sign shops ever, ever do I do that. I might defend myself sometimes, but as you have to, but yeah, be kind to everybody that you can be kind to and just do the job that you say you're going to do. Just do it. Fulfill your promises. Never overpromise and underdeliver. So I believe that, you know, I have been able to grow just because of really those two things. Great, man. I, I look forward to seeing like the, the online solution that you come up with. And also, like, I, I want to hear back with where you land on like the manufacturing side because we we've got. Uh, I'll see if I can find the episode for you. It, there was one guy that we we talked with in depth about, like, hey, should I be doing manufacturing? Should we get into that? Should we not? You know, very interesting topic, and you know, it could go either way. Uh, right. More of like a personal preference thing as well, whether you want the headache involved with that as well. But if I uh, if I could find the right person to run it for me, that would be the key. There you go. Excellent. Well, uh, Evan, I appreciate you joining us uh, again. I think one of our favorite episodes for sure. Uh, Pete, any parting shots before we wrap this one up? Uh you took the win from my sales there. Yeah. Evan, thank you for being here, uh, making the time. I know you're in your car and I'm, and I'm sorry for, uh, for disturbing your day if we did, but, um, it was a pleasure meeting you. And I, and I do look forward to seeing you here on the show again. Wow. Thank you very much guys for the opportunity. And, uh, thanks for, uh, hosting me in my car. I apologize. Yeah. <laughs> so. It's all good. You got to get done hey, work in the office, man. That's all good. Thanks. All right. We'll see you. Thanks. All right. Thank you. That's the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I'd like to give one final shout out to our sponsor, GCI Digital Printing, grand format printer to the trade. GCI is not your average print shop. They pride themselves on providing you a fast, stress-free experience when outsourcing. Their no excuses mindset means no matter the job, they'll have it done every time. No other vendor will go to the links that GCI does to ensure you're a satisfied customer. To hear more about their approach to business, hop back into the archives to episode nine, where the guys and I interview owner TJ Bedact about top tier customer experience. If you're looking for a high quality trade printer for banners, mesh, coreplast, and more, TJ Got and his crew were small, GCI does them all. Check them out at printgci.com. If you liked this episode, make sure you hit subscribe to get all the latest episodes. And check out our website, bettersignshop.com. Get free resources and helpful tools on growing your shop. Thanks for listening.